Remember the Game Boy Advance SP? It was the coolest of the Game Boys. It was kind of like a quesadilla where you could flip it open. Uh, I wasn't cool enough to own the SP. I had the, the fat version, the original Game Boy. Not the color, but the thick purple one. I wasn't a Pokemon type of kid either. I never played Pokemon growing up. No Yu-Gi-Oh, none of that. I played all the Disney games, like the Lion King Game Boy games. That was my style. And if you know me well, that shouldn't come as a surprise to you. Welcome to Motor City Hardball, presented by Blue Wire Hustle. Today's episode is a tribute to the one and only Tigers legend, Miguel Cabrera. In the year 2003, that was when the Game Boy Advance SP released, but coincidentally, it was also the first year, aka the rookie year, of Miguel Cabrera's illustrious career at which that time nobody knew no one could predict the future and see just how great Miguel Cabrera would be if that was the case I think one could argue that the Marlins would not want to trade him away uh 2003 let's see I was what five years old is my math off I was born in 97 98 99 2000 one two three so I was six years old my math was a little bit off there, but that's okay. It happens to the best of us. Uh, where were you in 2003 when Miguel Cabrera made his entrance into the world of Major League Baseball? I couldn't tell you. I was six. I have no idea exactly where I was or what I was doing. But before we break into Miguel Cabrera's career as a Detroit Tiger and all of the great things that he's done and what is still to come, I want to talk a little bit about the biggest baseball news from this week, and that would be Blake Snell being traded to the San Diego Padres. So first off, I believe that this is a win-win scenario for both teams. You have the Tampa Bay Rays trading away the 2018 American League Cy Young Award winner in Blake Snell to the San Diego Padres for, as of right now, it appears to be three of their top 10 uh, prospects. Now, if you don't know, the San Diego Padres and the Tampa Bay Rays and the Detroit Tigers, they're actually the top, they have the top three farm systems in Major League Baseball. The Rays are the first team, the Tigers are the second, and the Padres have the third best farm system in all of baseball. So, very interesting that we get to talk about these three teams today, with these three teams being having some of the best young talent in all of baseball. So you have the Padres getting Snell uh, and and handing over three of their top prospects to the Rays. There's this Instagram page that's really cool, and if you are a huge baseball fan like myself, I highly suggest you go follow them and check it out. They are Pitchers Nation. They are verified, so you will know that that is the one that that is the page that you would like to follow. They post crazy highlights of the best pitches. Um, during the season, obviously, it's really cool because they'll show you the best pitches of the night, the craziest pitches of the night, the fastest, the ones with the most movement, etc. You get it. Uh, but it's a really cool page to follow. So they posted this video this morning uh, of what the Rays essentially will be getting in Luis Patino. Uh, he appears to be roughly, seems like a short guy. I think he's about 
5'10", just about six feet tall. Uh, right-hander with three-plus pitches of fastball that will typically reach anywhere from 96 to 100 miles an hour. A sinker, which is roughly 88 to 90 miles an hour with nasty downward movement. And a big-time curveball and wipeout slider, which according to, I think it was Buster only, they say he has the best wipeout slider in uh, the minor leagues. Uh, that will be soon. That is soon to be determined. But look, the Rays are a smart team. I mean, they went out and they've made huge trades in the past. They initially traded away David Price, Chris Archer, James Shields. You think of some of the top pitching uh, talents that they've had over the years that they have hauled off to another team. Recently, I can think of the Randy Rosarena trade, a trade in which no one necessarily knew who Randy even was, to him all of a sudden being the face of the Major League postseason uh, of 2020. Crazy how the Rays just can work their magic like that, and you would think that, well, this is a smart move for them to, to get rid of Blake Snell. I wonder, personally, how much does the decision to keep uh, sorry to pull Snell from Game Six of the World Series last year. He pitched five and a third innings, and as we all remember, was pulled by manager Kevin Cash after giving up that first hit, uh, and eventually leading to the Rays scoring two runs that inning, or the Dodgers scoring two runs that inning. Uh, Kevin Cash went to Nick Anderson, who had been so good all season long, had horrible numbers in the postseason. He basically relied on analytics here and not how, you know, focusing on, on real life, how his actual numbers were in the postseason. And he went with Anderson, and unfortunately, the decision proved wrong for Kevin Cash and the Rays. They would go on to lose that game 3-1 to one, and, of course, losing the World Series in the process. But you have to realize that Blake Snell had to have been feeling some kind of way being taken out of that game at that point in time he was literally on cruise control the Dodgers couldn't touch him and Kevin Cash didn't even go out to the mound to even talk things over with Snell it was just a uh, you're out yanked him and brought in Anderson uh, I, I don't think that there was any bad blood between Snell and Kevin Cash and or the Rays at that time uh, it was huge in the in the baseball world after that game everybody wanted to know well, what was Blake Snell what was his thoughts on Kevin Cash's decision to, t to take him out of that game? And, well, as we all knew, that Snell wasn't happy about it. But, he, you know, there, was, there, there didn't appear to be a, a want or a need to get out of Tampa Bay from Snell. In fact, this move happened rather quickly. Like, there wasn't even any – there was no speculation, no tweets in regards to any rumors that Snell was going to head to San Diego – but on the other hand, you have the Padres that have been flat out making crazy moves for the past several years now. It all started with signing Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer, bringing them on board. Uh, now the Padres have arguably the best pitching staff in all of baseball. They brought along Mike Clevenger, which unfortunately for them bit them in the butt a little bit. Uh, Clevenger only pitched maybe about a game or so, and then he went out. Uh, he ended up needing Tommy John surgery. So Clevenger is going to miss all of the 2021 season. But it doesn't harm the Padres that much because regardless, Clevenger is going to be back uh, healthy in 2022. But the pitching staff 
that the Padres host now is just ridiculous. Uh, Blake Snell has been signed for the next three seasons, so he's still under his contract. Uh, He will be making $39 million over those next three seasons. But the pitching rotation in 2022 will look like Blake Snell, Denelson Lamette, Mike Clevenger, Chris Paddock, who it seems a lot of people have forgotten about just how good Paddock was, and Mackenzie Gore, who's arguably the top left-handed pitching prospect in all of Major League Baseball. I really like this trade between the two teams because between San Diego and Tampa Bay, these are two teams that are they've been off the map for years, especially San Diego. The Rays seem to never have they can never fill their stands for some odd reason. For as good as a team they are, there's never people in attendance at their games. That just amazes me. But you have the Padres that are such a young and talented team and all of a sudden are bringing everything together. Fernando Tatis has taken the world by storm. Uh, Manny Machado has, has looked as best as he ever has, and he's still so young. So the Padres are really a team that is so exciting, and over in the NL West, realistically, is the only team that can compete with the Dodgers. The Rockies are in shambles. It looks like Nolan Arenado is going to be traded. Uh, you have the Arizona Diamondbacks, who went out and gave Madison Bumgarner huge money, which unfortunately has not paid off for them considering how abysmal his season was in 2020. Clearly, Bumgarner's just not the same. And you have the San Francisco Giants, which it's always hit or miss. It's up in the air. You never know how they're going to do. But realistically, when it comes to the NL West and the NL in general, the Padres have all of a sudden become the team to not F with, essentially. They are clearly not playing around. Uh, They had the second-best record in the National League this season this past season, and it seems that the future is pretty bright in San Diego. I also read, too, that as of today, uh, they are still linked to trying to trade for you, Darvish, which is crazy and bolsters that rotation that much more. Uh, the Rays, on the other hand, though, will need some starting pitching unless they decide to call up a couple of prospects. Uh, now that Snell is gone and they lost Charlie Morton to free agency, Right now, they are riding the ropes uh, with Tyler Glass now, uh, Yarbrough, and yeah, they're definitely going to need to make a a couple decisions there. I don't think they're going to go ahead and sign Trevor Bauer, uh, which is also an interesting story considering I thought Bauer was going to go to the Padres. It's still very likely, especially if they don't get you Darvish. Uh, I could see Trevor Bauer very much so leaning towards either the Mets or the Padres, but I love this trade. Uh, The Rays, their bullpen is only getting better. Their bullpen is so nasty, and realistically, they prove that they could win games in the postseason and make it to the World Series with just an incredible pitching staff and bullpen because, let's face it, other than Randy Rosarena, where was the offense in that lineup? Everyone was quiet you know, up, up and down one through nine in that lineup. Uh, they only won game four because Brett Phillips was the hero. And we all remember what happened. Chris Taylor botched that ball in center field. Uh, Randy Rosarena tripped around third base going home. Still one of the craziest finishes you will ever see in baseball history, let alone world series history. But the Rays offense is tough. They, they actually put Kevin Kiermaier up uh, on the market as well 
letting teams know that they would be willing to trade him. Uh, but the Rays are going to need a couple of changes in regards to the offensive department, if you will. Uh, even though you know they let go of Snell, uh, they definitely need to bolster their offense if they still want to contend in the AL East. Uh, when the t- when the Yankees signed Garrett Cole at the beginning of the offseason last year, everyone figured that, hey, the Yankees are going out. They're spending all this money on Cole. They're in a win-now scenario. The Yankees, one through nine in their lineup, are so good. It'd be a shame. It'd be ridiculous if they don't go to the World Series, uh, let alone you know not winning. And as we all saw how it played out, the Rays beat them in game five, uh, or sorry, game seven of the ALCS. And unfortunately for the Yankees, they still have a whole bunch of work to do. So in regards to the AL East, I think it's still pretty wide open. Uh, The Rays, or excuse me, the Blue Jays have made huge efforts to bolster their lineup. They have a bunch of young talent, uh, Vlad Guerrero, Junior and uh, Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette. So the Orioles, eh, not so much. And Boston, who knows what's going to happen there. Maybe J.D. Martinez. Maybe they'll send him back to Detroit. I would love to see a J.D. Martinez reunion uh, along with JV. That is very possible. But all in all, I love this trade. I have a feeling that it's going to work out for both sides. And, well, considering what happened with Randy Rosarena, I'm sure that some of these uh, no-name guys that are being sent from San Diego to Tampa Bay will become household names in the future. And odds are the Rays are going to do their best and work their magic to turn these guys into superstars. I will not be surprised. So I have a correction to make from the beginning of the podcast. I said that the Rays beat the Yankees in Game 7 of the American League Championship Series, but I was wrong. The Rays beat the Yankees in Game 5 of the American League Division Series. So for you Yankees fans out there, hopefully giving Garrett Cole more than $300 million will evidently pay off in the future and get you further in the playoffs than just the American League Division Series. Now, let's move on to Miguel Cabrera. So, first off, did you know that Miguel Cabrera is aiming to become the seventh player in MLB history with at least 500 home runs and 3,000 hits? I bet you didn't. I bet you also didn't know that Miguel Cabrera currently sits at 2,866 hits. That is tied for 46th all-time. He sits at 1,729 RBIs, which would be 24th all-time. And he is 13 home runs shy of 500 home runs in his career, which would be 487 home runs, which ranks 30th all time. Miguel Cabrera has been my favorite player, and not just because I'm biased and I'm from the city of Detroit and Miguel Cabrera is on the Detroit Tigers. No, Miguel Cabrera is my favorite player in all of baseball solely because of, well, who he is, his personality, his antics. On the field, even though he's got a history of some tough antics off the field. That aside, Miguel Cabrera is one of the most fun players to watch, even as he is unfortunately on the decline of his career as he gets older and deals with nagging injuries, even though every spring training that rolls around, hey, he's quote-unquote in the best shape of his life. Uh, I want to start this with a bit of a story 
Uh, I used to go down to Tigers games early. I still do. I like to go down to batting practice and see if I can catch a ball or maybe get an autograph, meet a player. Who knows? So I went to a Tigers-Orioles game. I was probably 9 or 10 years old, and it was a rain delay, and it was raining on the way downtown. And I thought the game wasn't even going to be played. It was just my dad and I. And I went down to the first base side of the field and basically was essentially on the field. I looked to my left, and there's the Orioles dugout. And I was yelling at some of the Orioles players, hey, throw me a ball, throw me a ball. Eventually, I got one of them to throw me a ball. So I have a ball, and the game hasn't even started. And I was hyped. Uh, I actually have, I think, 18 of them right now, none of which I have caught live in a game. Those 18 are all from spring training and batting practice. Anyway, so the game eventually starts, and my dad and I took a chance, and we had some pretty crappy seats for that game. But because of the rain delay, we ended up sitting front row, uh, first two seats essentially on the field, and I had my view of Miguel Cabrera at first base for the whole game. So in between innings, when the Tigers would come out and play defense, Miguel Cabrera would throw the ball around the diamond. And I would yell out to him, hey, Miggy, Miggy, throw me a ball, throw me a ball. And sometimes guys aren't going to acknowledge you, they're not going to look at you. But hey, I was a kid, and he turned and he looked at me, and he gave me like a, a finger sign, like a wait one second, almost like a Dikembe Mutombo wave, but there was no wave. Uh, and he was like, one sec, one sec, next time. And I was like, all right. So me being the person I am, I kept trying and trying, yelling out his name. And sure enough, right as the ending was about to start, Miggy turns and looks at me, points at me, and he threw me a baseball. And I was the second ball that I caught that night. I was so excited. I couldn't believe Cabrera had thrown me a ball. This lady had noticed that I had two baseballs, and she saw Miggy throw me the ball, and she said, hey, if you can get Miggy to throw you another ball, I'll give you 20 bucks." And I tried because, hey, $20 when you're nine years old is like $2,000. And unfortunately, I was unable to do so. I couldn't get a ball. But you know what? Hey, I didn't care. Miguel Cabrera threw me a baseball, and it was a great moment, and I will never forget it. So if you don't know, the Tigers landed Miguel Cabrera in 2003 in a trade with the Miami Marlins, which I'm sure to this day they are still kicking themselves themselves over. So on December 5th, 2007, the Marlins traded Miguel Cabrera and highlight kicking pitcher Dontrell Willis to the Tigers in exchange for Andrew Miller, Dallas Trahern, Eulogio De La Cruz, and Burke Badenhop. Also, outfielder Cameron Mabin and catcher Mike Ribello. So, let's go over what some of those guys did in their career. So, first off, you have Andrew Miller, who didn't become quote-unquote great till seven years into his career. I feel like Andrew Miller has been dominating for so long, but realistically, it wasn't till seven years into his career where he had a season ERA under three. So that, I, I found that really interesting, and it was something I never even knew. Uh, Trehearn literally didn't do anything. Yulgio, why is that such a difficult name to pronounce? Yulgio Frankie De La Cruz pitched one season in the major leagues. 
Berg Badenhop had a career ERA of 3.74 in eight seasons. That's, like, not so bad. Uh, Cameron Mabin would be traded for the first of many times in his career. I think he's been a Detroit Tiger three times now. Not only that, but I also want to say he's been on at least a third of all of Major League Baseball teams. Uh, and Mike Rabello was a schmuck and played only two seasons in the MLB. So who do you think won this trade? I think the Tigers did by a long shot. So Miggy has logged 18 seasons of Major League Baseball. 13 of those seasons has been playing with the Detroit Tigers. So what has that career looked like in a nutshell, essentially? Let's take a look. So Cabrera entered the league in 2003, his rookie season uh, with the Miami Marlins, and they ended up winning the World Series his rookie year. Pretty crazy. Uh, Mickey hit an opposite field home run off Roger Clemens in Game 4 of the World Series. Uh, it was a 8-pitch at-bat and he took him opposite field. So, hey, that tells you something for a young guy like Miguel Cabrera to take a pitcher like Roger Clemens opposite field after battling pitch after pitch after pitch. You had to figure at that time, okay, this guy could be the real deal. Uh, and Cabrera's final three seasons with the Marlins, uh, actually, now that I think about it, they weren't the Miami Marlins. They were the Florida Marlins. And Cabrera's three final seasons with the Florida Marlins he hit 323, 339, and 320. So why would they go on to trade this guy? Not to mention, uh, in his final four seasons with Florida, he was an all-star for four consecutive seasons. So in the years leading up to Cabrera's arrival in Detroit, the Tigers were terrible. They were one of the worst teams in baseball. No one really cared to watch them. The Comerica Park had opened in the year 2000, so they just left Tigers Stadium and... Yeah, the Tigers were just a, a no-name team that arguably in 2003 was the worst baseball team in the history of the game. They had a 43-119 and 119 record. And I remember reading a Bleacher Report article once basically stating the worst teams of all time. Uh, and I think the Tigers were like top three on that list. The 2003 Tigers were top three on that list. Fast forward three years later, and you have the Tigers making it to the World Series in 2006. They somehow went from going 71 and 91 in 2005 to a 95 and 67 record, uh, going to the World Series thanks to the help of Maglio Ardonias with a walk-off three-run homer against the Oakland Athletics in the American League Championship Series, and they went on to lose to the St. Louis Cardinals 4-1. to Also, I think that year, Brandon Inge was in the Home Run Derby. It didn't hit any home runs, and that was a big deal because that was when the Home Run Derby went by outs, and it wasn't a time limit. But that's a story for another day <laughs> that we won't get into. So Miguel Cabrera didn't make uh, his first appearance as a Detroit Tiger until his 2008 season. Uh, and he wouldn't have his first All-Star season after four consecutive seasons from 2004 and 2007. He wouldn't be an All-Star in Detroit until the 2010 season, in which he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven consecutive All-Star seasons. Uh, and unfortunately for Tigers fans today, if you know this well and you know him well, he has not been an All-Star since then, uh, and that would be 2016. So moving on, uh, in 2011, 
The Tigers were unfortunately thrown a curveball for all the wrong reasons. Miguel Cabrera, it was broken in the news that uh, he had a couple of drunk driving incidents, and there was a lot of attention in regards to him and his antics off the field. But he came to spring training that year, he made his apology, and all was forgotten. And honestly, Miguel Cabrera has really been true to his word. He's had no sort of incidents or been in the news for any reason other than struggling offensively as of late. So, yeah, Cabrera was definitely true to his word. Uh, Now it's, well, 2011, 2012, and this is where things get interesting for the Detroit Tigers because, hey, all of a sudden, we have some winning seasons. And we haven't seen that in a long time, especially since we were in the World Series back in 2006. So the Detroit Tigers were the American League Central champions four years in a row from 2011 all the way to 2014. Uh, The Tigers did go to the World Series in 2012 and unfortunately were swept by the San Francisco Giants and somehow their crazy ability to win the World Series in even years and every other even year from 2010, 2012, and 2014. Unfortunately, they could not pull it off in 2016, but it's still crazy that the Giants were able to do such a feat. It's hard to believe that that team got swept, too, considering how great our pitching staff was. You had David Price, you had Max Scherzer, Rick Porcello, Justin Verlander, Anibal Sanchez, who actually had a couple of really good seasons. Before every time he went out in the mound, he gave up at least three home runs in a start. Uh, I don't know how that team couldn't win, couldn't pull it off. Realistically, our offense was not as good as it was during the regular season and a lot of times you'll see that happen with teams they just they don't have that offensive spark in the postseason that they did in the regular season Prince Fielder struggled heavily in the World Series Uh, Justin Verlander gave up three home runs in his first game to uh, Pablo Sandoval Pablo hit three homers off JV I mean you oftentimes you'll see guys be on the verge of greatness or the complete opposite Even with four consecutive American League Central first-place finishes and a World Series appearance, although there was no rings to bring home, there was still plenty of hardware that was to be brought home by the likes of Miguel Cabrera and Justin Verlander. Cabrera won the AL MVP in back-to-back seasons in 2012 and 2013. Not to mention he won the Triple Crown in 2012, the first person to do it since the 60s in Carl uh, Yastrzemski. Uh, And at this point, Cabrera is arguably the best hitter on the planet. And this is in a a time where Mike Trout is is first making his his first few seasons into the league. Uh, You have guys like Josh Donaldson, uh, Derek Jeter, and there's still so many big-name bats, Albert Pujols. uh, And Cabrera is arguably the best player on the planet. No one's seen anybody do these things, back-to-back MVPs featuring a triple crown. I mean, who does that? Uh, And he's playing in a market like Detroit where they're not getting a whole lot of attention. They they only have four World Series uh, titles to their franchise. And you would think, well, hey, if this guy is doing all these things for the great city of Detroit, we got to pay him, right? I mean, you got to give him a ton of money. So what do the Tigers do? Well... They don't want him going anywhere, so they give him $292 million over 10 years. They extended his contract in 2014, 
Cabrera at this point in time is now 31 years old, so he's guaranteed to be paid at least into his age 41 season. If he is still playing then, Cabrera is currently 37 years old, and we've already seen what's happened to his body and the decline over the years. So in 2014, Cabrera gets this contract extension. He is an all-star, and uh, in 2015, this is when we see the decline of numbers and games that are being played. So Cabrera only played 119 games in 2015. His power declined a little bit. It wasn't anything crazy. Considering in 2015, uh, sorry, in 2014, he played 159 games out of 162 game season. Cabrera finished with 25 home runs. In 2015, he played in 119 games and finished with 18 home runs. So the the power production wasn't a, a huge differential there. Uh, and actually, in 2016, he got that stroke of power back. He had 38 homers. Out of nowhere, he hadn't had a season with at least 30 or more home runs, with the exception of the 2016 season. But he hadn't had any season with 30 more home runs since 2013, when he had 44, which was his career high. Since 2016, though, that was when things got really rough. Not only for Miguel Cabrera, but for the Tigers in general. Uh, we had several last place finishes. There was... Nothing good happening. We lost Justin Verlander. We gave Jordan Zimmerman a ton of money to basically do nothing and only miss games. And unfortunately for Cabrera, he really became uh, a liability for this team because he was missing so much time. And there was even thoughts of trading Cabrera, which people were saying, hey, a, a team that's in contention right now or in the hunt could use someone like Cabrera and his postseason expertise and his knowledge, and he's been in the game for so long, arguably one of the best hitters. Yeah, I get that, but to let Cabrera go because the team is struggling and he himself was struggling was just would have been a low blow for the city of Detroit. The, all this talk was prior to letting JV go, I believe, and it made much more sense to, to ship Verlander away considering uh, you could get a lot more in return and JV was not as injury riddled and Houston needed that one power arm to essentially get them to the world series. And that they did in 2017, but for Cabrera, his numbers dramatically decreased in 2017. He only played 130 games, 2018. He only played in 38 games, 2019. He played 136 games and obviously 2020, the 60 game season Cabrera surprisingly played in 57 games. And he looked healthy. Uh, but his power numbers have dramatically declined. 2017, he had 16 homers. 2018, he had 3 homers in 38 games. 2019, he had 12 home runs in 136 games. Uh, and 2020, he had 10 homers in those 57 games. 2019 was a big adjustment for Cabrera because this was when he became our full-time designated hitter. Uh, he was dealing with his injuries and... Ron Gardenhire basically wanted to preserve his health and instead of playing first base, which uh, I don't really understand in terms of preserving your health other than the occasional running down a, a foul ball uh, or a ball in foul territory or making a, a stretch at first base, sort of like a G-Man Choi move. I don't see how not playing at first base or spending the majority, probably the rest of your career, as a DH, Albert Pujols, 
you look at him over the Angels, I mean, same situation, first baseman, uh, him and Miggy are arguably the greatest uh, hitters of their time and greatest first baseman of their time. Uh, but uh, Albert Pujols is still playing first base, so I don't understand why Miggy couldn't. And there's a big argument there. There's reason for this because when you are a designated hitter, the only time you see in the game is when you're up to bat. So if you're up in a bases-loaded scenario and you're down one run or maybe two runs it's the seventh inning and you strike out, well, you can't go in the field that next inning to try to make up for it defensively. You're stuck with going back to the bench, sitting there, thinking about, oh, well, I did this wrong, or I should have swung at that pitch instead of this one. You're sitting there, and you're playing mental games with yourself. So for someone like Cabrera, for as great and as wise and smart of a hitter that he is, it's not something that you want to pin on him towards the end of the season or towards the end of his career. Granted, the Tigers had Victor Martinez, and before he retired, he was the designated hitter for Detroit. That was when Miggy was still seeing time at first base. But now things get a little bit interesting when you think of it from the the standpoint of the future. You have Spencer Torkelson, who was drafted as a third baseman, but essentially played first base his entire career at ASU. We don't know how long it's going to take for Spencer Torkelson to get called up, but eventually we're going to see this change where probably Miguel Cabrera is going to be the full-time DH. In one of his latest press conferences, A.J. Hinch had mentioned that he plans to give Miguel Cabrera more time over at first base, which I like this move. Uh, I feel that A.J. Hinch isn't maybe as old school as Ron Gardenhire is, and he wants to you know, give a little bit more life to Miguel Cabrera's career, especially at first base. Maybe that'll help him. You gotta give Miggy another opportunity to play with the fans over at first base. Hopefully we will have fans in the near future, but hey, I love seeing those highlights of Miguel Cabrera running over to the fans, playing with their beard with his glove, and just, you know, having a good time, because that's the Miguel Cabrera we all know and love. Before we wrap up today's episode, I wanted to share with you guys one of my favorite Miguel Cabrera moments in Tiger's history, and I think a lot of you probably know what I'm already going to say, and of course that would be the game-tying home run that Miguel Cabrera hit off Mariano Rivera. Uh, This was at Yankee Stadium back in 2013, Uh, Miggy's MVP season, the second of two, and The Tigers didn't win this game, but Miguel Cabrera faced Rivera down 3-1 in the top of the ninth uh, with two outs, and we're going to go into a little bit of detail here. So the first pitch to Cabrera, actually, he pops it up, and it was totally playable. Uh, Lyle Lyle Overbay was the first baseman at the time for the Yankees. And realistically, he slightly overran the ball and very easily could have made the play. And the ball just snuck like two feet over the railing on the first base side. And my favorite part about all this is when you watch the Fox Sports Detroit broadcast, Rod Allen says, that could be huge. And of course, we all know it was huge that Lyle Overbay botched that play. The second pitch of the inning was a cutter inside to Cabrera, who fouls it off. So at this point, 
He's 0-2, and it's not easy to come back against Marion Rivera when you are down 0-2 to him. Third pitch of the A-B, Rivera tries to get Miggy swinging at a fastball upstairs, but Cabrera lays off, and it's now 1-2. and So things get a little bit interesting at this point. Rivera goes back to that cutter inside and upstairs, which Cabrera fouls off, but he fouls it off of his foot. Uh, and starts hobbling out of the box. And at this point, they show a little graphic on the screen that Cabrera is 0 for 4 against Rivera in his career. So now this is alluding you to think, well, hey, I mean, chances are if Cabrera has just fouled this pitch off his foot, he's hobbling around, he's 0 for 4 against Rivera, there's no way this is going to work out, right? So after a visit from Smokes McGee, a.k.a. Jim Leland, Uh, Out to Miguel Cabrera to check on him, make sure he's okay. Cabrera goes back in the batter's box, and what happens? He fouls off another pitch off that same foot and is hobbling around. But as they love to say (laughs) in the play-by-play world, he's a hockey player, and he battles it, and he stays in the game. He's good. But Cabrera's laughing it off. Like, they showed the replay, and he went from wincing, and wincing immediately the second the ball hits him, to just laughing it off. So after fouling off two consecutive pitches off his foot, Miguel Cabrera watches ball two, and it's now two and two count on Miggy. This is now a six-pitch at-bat, and on the seventh pitch of the at-bat, that is when. High fly ball center field. Gardner going back, still going back. Track, wall, and gone! Unbelievable! He did it again! You want some of this? Come In classic Tigers fashion, they would go on to lose that game. But ironically, the very next game, Mariano Rivera would blow a consecutive save against the Tigers. Cabrera and Victor Martinez going back-to-back in the ninth inning to tie the game. The Tigers would eventually go on to win that one. But that is my favorite moment in the history of Miguel Cabrera. If you would like to share yours, feel free to reach out. And if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show feel free to let me know and we can definitely work something out. So that is all for this week's episode. Huge shout out to Eli Weil creating the theme music and the transition music and being such a great help when it comes to putting out the episodes week in and week out. Next week is going to be a lot of fun. We're having David Vinsky on the show. David was drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals back in 2019. Uh, He played baseball at Northwood University and set countless records at Harrison High School back in the day. So stay tuned for that. But that is all for Motor City Hardball. We will see you guys next Wednesday at 3 o'clock.